All right, McFarland, McFarland Energy, thanks so much for sponsoring the Bradfoe Show. And this is a very special Bradfoe Show. This is There's nobody I'd rather be talking to at this moment than Chris Murphy. Congratulations, Chris. Thank you, Rob. I mean, congratulations in so many ways, so many ways. So we did an interview, and this is great because, you know, when I when I do interviews with guys just who did drafted early on, the great part about it is you get the chance to follow them, like through their, their process, their ups and the downs and their accomplishments and everything. So we did an interview, and, and my the story, the reason, in, you know, full disclosure, the reason I called you was because that year – it was only five rounds in the draft, and the year before, you were the six-round pick. So if I know nothing on this planet, my best trivia question is always, I know what exactly what round Chris Murphy was drafted in. <laughs> it's the sixth round in 2019, because once again, there was no sixth round. And as you said back then, if you waited another year, then you probably would have well, you probably would have stayed in school, right? Because you wouldn't yeah. draft it. I'd be playing baseball, to be honest. It's one of those things. Once you're a senior in college, you don't even know what your pro ball opportunity is going to be. So that's, that's crazy. One of those things. Yeah. One year. One year. One year. You wouldn't be. What would. So let's play this game. The fun, the fun game of what would you have done? So what would you have done if you if you were living life as a draftee in 2005? I'm sorry, in 2020. Um, there is no sixth round. You do not get drafted. And you're saying, oh, well, that was a good run. What are you doing right now? That's a that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I think I've pivoted on what, like, my niche is every offseason. Um, I think I obviously would have finished school, finished my history major, uh, and probably honestly would have gotten into coaching right okay. away or something like that just because I understand analytics and that's where the game is headed. And um, I think I could have, could have done something in baseball, just maybe not have played, but I mean, that didn't happen. So I'm glad we're here right now. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, first of all, what, what were you going to do with a history degree? Like, why did you major in history? I mean, this is stuff that maybe only I care about, but I don't care. It's my oh. podcast. So there you go. So I was originally committed to Cal, which is ironically where I'm living now. I'm living in Berkeley with my girlfriend or Oakland, Berkeley area in the Bay Area. And um, I was committed there. I wanted to do biomechanics or something like that there. And then I went to USD when I ended up going to school there. And, yeah. yeah, Diego. And they didn't have they only had biology and every baseball player was a business major, an econ major. And that. And I wanted to just kind of have some time on my own. And I was like, history degree isn't bad. A lot of people teach with it. You can get into law school with a history degree. Um, it's a very, it's not an easy in, but it's an easier in to law school. So if that was what I wanted to do after I was done, I had that door open. So it was just one of those things. And I just learned, learn about the world and what's gone on in the past and some things that other people wouldn't know. And it's kind of gives you a, a different, um, point of view that some people may not have. If you so you that. you would have been the the cool history teacher that coaches high school baseball. Is what you're saying at this time? Like I I think that that might be where we're at right now. At 24, really? I'd, cool. I'd be yeah. <laughs> well, what what was your? Because I like I like I love history. Like I love this. My I was a terrible student, but history was like my sweet spot. 
what was your, like what was your go-to in my because my wife still gives me crap where you know i run through netflix all the time like like everybody does it's like uh, all over the place right now i'm watching um the uh oh, i'm watching this thing with um uh what's the actor uh jonah hill jonah hill and his, and his psychiatrist and it just came out and it's so uh, God bless that one word studs yeah. Stop. yeah studs it's called studs yeah yeah and it's just like it's a it's a slog man it's a slog anyway what I what my wife gives me crap about is that like I always usually default to World War II in color, you know, or something along those lines. I mean, I love that stuff. I love it. So, what's your I, I emphasized in war history. Uh, that was my main focus. Um, so, I did a lot of war history in World War One, World War Two specifically. I took I think three or four classes on World War Two. I just loved the professor I had, and she was actually in the CIA, so she gave us a lot of that um a lot of things that she she told us that she's not allowed to say certain things which it's like okay well there's something there and i just got hooked on those classes so learned a lot about intelligence in that time and like what she got to read that's now like got to read declassified documents that you the normal person wouldn't be able to find and stuff like that so it kind of brings me if you like world war ii history there's a show on hulu called uh hunting hitler and oh, that's oh oh i was a show it, so that i watched that when it was out like it it was i think it's oh. the same one yeah so they have like three seasons of it but i learned that in college with, that with the mma guy right the mma guy is running around yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah i learned it in, uh, it's still i guess i believe he lived, but at the end of the day, there were still Nazis in South America, which was crazy to me. So that that I learned in college, and I got hooked on that immediately. I'm like, there's so much that's just like covered up that I get to read about, and so much that we that just passed the lines. I, I so my dad was a history teacher in high school, and I ran over when I saw that, and I'd just be like, "You got to watch this hunting Hitler thing." Like I I I totally. I totally am like convinced, like you said, I'm totally convinced watching this thing. Now, like who knows, right? Like with these these sort of things, there's a lot of editing, there's a lot of we're pushing it this way or pushing it that way. I just saw something, I saw another documentary on um this this random island off the coast of Alaska where treasure was. And it was clear they were sort of like editing this like do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, I don't. But that's just how those shows are. They yeah. they have to they have to explain a narrative. Um, it's like the hunting big Bigfoot shows. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think there is some merit to to that show specifically. There's almost too much evidence. There, I, in my opinion, there's more evidence saying that he could have been there than he died. Well, but listen. I mean, I yes. The, the natural segue um, in any podcast is is obviously to pivot from dissecting the hunting Hitler docu-series to what's it feel like to be on the 40 man roster. So, uh, uh, but I do want to say, like, I, I love the fact, I love, yeah, you like that. I, I love the, I love the fact that you, that you like, we can step back and say what might've been, what might've been, what might've been. And so now 
let's do the math. So you've had three three professional seasons. Three professional, three and a half. At a at a two and a half. Two and COVID a half. Had nineteen half season, then twenty one and twenty two. Okay. So, and yeah. and where you've landed, as we've just found out, is on a forty man roster. And now, like this isn't this isn't the major leagues. But this is a enormous step, and I don't, you know, I you know all the benefits. You probably have it. You would have an agent, I would imagine. Yes. Um, and there's uh, the per diem's better in spring training. Um, you have uh, there's a lot of protection. There's a lot, all kinds of things. You're in the forty man roster. It goes a long, 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 long way, and you earned your that right off these two and a half years. So I guess the first question I have is when you go through those two and a half years and is there, was there a time where you thought you, cause you have probably have a timeline of, of this. I think that this is where I'm going to land at this time. When oh. you, did you, was there ever a time where like, oh, man, when I get to the off season after 2022, I don't know if I'm going to be in position to be on the 40 man roster, which we, you know, you are. Yeah. Was there ever there- that like a time where you're like, Oh man, it's I don't think this is going the right way. Uh the end of this season, I was like, oh, oh boy, I better strap in. This could be an interesting offseason. I started walking the house. Um, it was just I some stuff went on and I, I just it was one of those streaks where I couldn't get out of that rut. And it was it was tough. Um, but my last two starts, I I think I walked three people total and it was we're back on it. Good. Good end note, even though the runs scored wasn't where I wanted it to be. But uh, looking back through the two and a half years, last year was, even though I made it to AAA, had some success there, my goal was to get to the big leagues. My goal was to get there. Um, Pitched well for the first half of the season. All-star break came around and wasn't the same after that. And I think that's one of those things that I need to push through that this next season. And we're on the – I'm on the 40 man. So it's one of those things that I can kind of let it free and just be like, I'm, I'm a call away always and just have to do what I need to do and continue to, to push myself, be my heart, my own hardest critic. Um, that's something that I think has gotten me to this point is I think I'm the hardest on myself than anybody else is on me. So uh, yeah. Were you, when you were in spring training last year, you're around the big boys. Were you sheepish? Um, I was a little more quiet. I, I would say I was towards the quiet end. Uh, it was an interesting spring training. I didn't know what to expect, especially with the lockout. Um, I was at the complex for a month before the big leaguers got there. And by the time they got there, they were they hit the ground running. There wasn't two bullpens. It was straight in the games. It was one of those uh, have to adjust. Uh wouldn't say I was in awe of anybody there. I, I talked to guys that my first day there, I played catch with Rich Hill, and that was that was pretty surreal. He's guy very intimidating. Is... <laughs> very intimidating. Actually, actually, he just called uh, me. He's also yeah. He literally just called me. Really, he, he likes to talk. <laughs> so, but yeah, he talked to him uh, a few times. Talked to his son. Um, but being twenty, and he was what was he forty three or something like that. It was almost 43, one, almost 43. Yeah. 42 at the time. Uh, it was one of those, like I'm talking to one of 
the he's the Tom Brady of baseball in terms of like he's still doing it at his age. Like I need to pick his brain a little bit. So I, I took that time and I wasn't shy about that. Uh, I watched how guys like Pavetta and Avaldi went about their business every single day that they were there. Uh, just just kind of taking a step back and learning from them, just watching what these guys do and just having both ears open. Was there was there a time where you said, I can do this? Like you always, like, obviously you think you can do it, but was there a time where you're like, okay, I got a ways to go, but I'm going to be able to be a major leaguer? Um, there, there were those times in and out. Uh, I've always believed that even back in 2020 or 2021. That's always been a thought of, I know I can get there. I've, I've done it. Um, I've faced pro guys in the off season, just like big league guys in live at bats and stuff like that. It's one of those like, yeah, like I've gotten that guy out. Like that's there. Uh, this self-confidence is all, it's, it's always there. It's just, do I have it that day? And can I talk myself into having that day if I don't have it? And that's, that's the next step. It sounds like for you, it's a lot of mental stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we've I've gone past the physical side. I'm where I want to be on the mound in terms of velocity and uh, all my pitches doing what they need to do. And it's more just get locked in, do it. Um, so, yeah, I've talked with the pitching coordinators. There's a couple of mechanical things I need to adjust, but it's not anything too severe. It's very we're talking about very minute things that will will get me to where I want to be. Was there something that somebody said since th- th- so much of this is mental? And listen, man, you aren't alone. This is uh, there's some quote I can rattle off. Speaking of history, which I would butcher about you know being 110 percent mental and you know zero percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, it, um, it's a game. The the longer it goes, uh, everyone deals with stuff during the season. Being away from home, I'm from California, being on the East Coast is hard. Um, so it's just a matter of, can I separate it better next, this, this next season? Can I separate what's going on at home versus how I'm doing here in playing baseball? So I think, I think that's where my development is going to head is, can I separate? Can I be mentally healthier, like off the field at home in the apartment, wherever it may be? Well, Portland is known as the San Diego of Maine. So. <laughs> wasn't a wasn't a bad place. Um, no, you probably made money instead of losing money. So there you go. We we made money. Yeah, uh, it's that was nice this year. That having having that housing was nice. Not having to worry about that. Uh, didn't feel like I was living paycheck to paycheck per se. Who do you live with? Uh, I lived with who did I live with? I started, lived with AJ Politi to start the year, and then he got called up. Then I lived with Darren Gillies, and then uh, he got released. Sadly, he was one of my favorite guys. He was the guy that I talked to when he was living there. I talked to him all the time just because he's been through the minor leagues, rinsed through the Mariners system, and it was one of those things where I looked up to the guy like that. Like he's done it for a long time, still chasing it, and he had a lot of insight on how to have an outlook on the game. And it's it's really just a game at the end of the day but you still have to want to win and you need to be your own hardest critic and you need to push yourself more than anyone else will push you. Uh, after Gillies, 
I had Caleb Simpson who ended up following me to AAA a couple days later. Mm-hmm. And then in AAA, I lived with quite a few people. There's a lot of roster moves there. Uh, Wink was in and out of there. Mm-hmm. Brian Keller, Devlin Granberg, one of my favorite guys. Um, did I say Brian Keller? Yeah. Did, did Winkowski say, hey, everybody gather around. Let me tell you what it's like to be on the 40-man roster. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, I would ask him, like, how, how is it up there, man? Stuff like that. <laughs> uh, he's not as bad as the media portrays him. Oh, what are you talking? I don't who, – who, who's portraying? Like, I did a nice story on him about how he was an awesome gamer and becoming – if he wasn't playing baseball. He, he, he good gamer. He has a whole setup. It's pretty cool. Yeah. He said, like, so he said, I would be a professional gamer. I Listen, I here's the thing, man, and just remember this. Be yourself. Don't be shy to be your personality. And sometimes some your personality, people may take it the wrong way. And like so when Winkowski does the whole thing about Wrigley Field being stock standard. Uh so what? <laughs> that's it. I mean, if that's he had some success in the big leagues this year, that was pretty cool to watch. And if that's what gets him there, then sure. Uh, he shouldn't back down. And and I know that like I know that how he's probably feeling, like the fact that you bring it up. Like it, it doesn't matter. Just be yourself, man. It's okay. It's okay. Did by the way, in your time in Portland, did you ever get involved in the uh, the 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 uh, bet or the conversation or the debate of Alex Benellis beating Marcelo Meyer in a race? No, I was only with Benellis for I think it was three days. They got called up in the middle of the series. Oh, okay, again. and by the end of that series, I was gone. And I, it's really funny. Uh, my buddy, Scotty, Stephen Scott, uh, me, him and Joe Davis were three really good friends in 2019 and Lowell. We were supposed to live in that trailer together. It was like the big story. Yeah. Um, and Scotty got Scotty and Joe got called up to Greenville and I was only with Scotty for one day in Greenville before I went to Portland and he got called up to Portland and I go, dude, we're finally together again. Been a long time. I was there for two days before I got called up. I just can't catch a break. I've only played with them for like three days in the past two years. So hopefully we get a little more of that time next year. Well, so when you go to Worcester and um, and we can we can have the Alex Pinnell story for another time. That'll rage on in spring training where in the, what is it, the Crown? I don't want to give away the hotel where everyone stays. Crown, Crown Okay, Crown Plaza yeah. in Fort Myers. It was like, so we bet we had Benellis and he was talking trash about how he could beat Marcel Maia in a race. And evidently, they found out like this, everyone basically in a whole hallway full of guys were crammed in a room like, you know, <laughs> and, and Benellis, Cabadis was was saying like, yeah, Benellis kept right, showing everybody this video of him as a 14-year-old sprinting, you know. So, uh, yeah, so something to look forward to in spring training anyway. Um you know, well, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, who it started obviously on this podcast with Garrett Whitlock saying that he's faster than Tanner Houck, and both ended up in wheelchairs by the end of the year. So we're very careful. <laughs> uh <laughs> um we are in Worcester. Do you and you're asking, you know, Winkowski what it's like and and whatever. And now you're in the 40 man. Do you do you, you know you not without putting cart before horse do you feel like okay all right 
Like, this isn't that far away now. When you go to yeah. your parents last night, where you're saying, hey, hey, everybody, not that far away. Uh, it felt not that far away last season, to be honest with you. And it's one of those now, it's like, okay, they, I know how the Red Sox feel about me. They want me a part of their plan next year. And that's, um, that's the most honoring thing is that the Red Sox want me to be a part of the 2023 season for the Boston Red Sox. So in my mind, it's just been, uh, I have to earn that spot and that's plain and simple. I have, I have to earn it. So there's no, no shortcuts to me being on the 40 man is awesome, but it's, if I can get on that 26 man roster at some point, it's, it's have it, that that's the goal, right? 26 uh, man is better than 40. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe so. Um, but have to earn that spot and, and have to get there. So that's not, not a, not a might in my mind. It's I, I have to. Yeah. And you will. The question is, is when you, you know, when, if, when you play the Yankees in that first game, will your dad wear a Yankees hat or a Red Sox hat? So he I, was, I look back I at the story he wrote. So your dad hates the Red Sox and he wore number seven as a little leaguer for Mickey Mantle. And, and, yep. And uh, has he gotten past that at all? I, I think he's gotten past it a bit. He might wear a Red Sox hat just backwards. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. He'll probably wear a Red Sox hat. He'll he'll be he'll be swagged out. Yeah. Sox stuff. Uh, but my family still says they'll only root for the Red Sox whenever I'm playing. So that's 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 the joke of the. Oh really? Joke. Yeah. If I'm not pitching, they're not rooting for me. So. <laughs> Wow, that's 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 yeah, I got a lot of Yankee fans in the family. It's a tough one. Yeah, well, that's I mean, well, we did that four game series where you're pitching only one of them. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's well, and listen, I, I, I give them credit. It, it'll it'll they'll come around, they'll come around. Believe me, when you're celebrating a World Series or a playoff w- series win and you're on the Fenway field and then with the families out there and you're running around with a Bud Light box on your head, you know. They'll, they'll be, wearing, be they'll be re- they're not wearing Yankee stuff in that they'll day. Be. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you also have the, you know, we we talked about your sister um in, you know, this is another motivation, obviously getting the motor, you don't to the major leagues, you don't have to have motivation, but certainly the memory of your sister is is another motivation. And I you know it's it's a great one, a heartfelt one. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, you want me to give you the full recap on what it is? Yeah, because I won't do it well. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so sister Jessica, she was not a blood related sister. She was my babysitter growing up for me and my sister. She lived just down the street. We thought of her as, as a sister and, uh, saw her every day, picked us up from school every day. She went to every single one of my little league games when she could. Uh, she was pretty much the team mom in the dugout and she was diagnosed with cancer when I was in sixth grade. And I just remember writing, starting to write in my hat in sixth grade so she could see it saying, I play for Jessica. And it was, she was a Yankee fan, diehard Yankee fan. And I didn't know how it worked at that time. And it was like, I'm going to save, save you a ticket to my first major league game. And this was in sixth, seventh grade at this time. And she said, I'm going to make you promise me that. So it was a promise that I've held. And when she passed away, when I was going into high school, um, it, it's a, 
I put it in her casket, wrote it down. I played for Jessica. I promise you to save you a ticket for my first major league game. And I put that in her casket. And that's something I've carried near and dear to me. That is the driving force behind why I still play baseball or why I play this game, why I continue to play then. Um, and that's, I think that's what maybe separates me is it's not just for me. I play self selflessly and it's for somebody else. It's, there's always something I can do to help someone. So that's that first game is going to be a wild ride for you. Oh, Oh, it is. I, I already know. Um, <laughs> I've already given my girlfriend like, Hey, you're in charge of getting that ticket and making sure that I'm not, having a mental breakdown over not having it because I had, I saved a ticket for my first pro game for her. And that was getting a hold of that ticket. So they didn't give it away was one of those things that kind of stressed me out that day. Uh, so don't want that to happen again. Uh, I think, I think it'll be a little bit easier when that time comes around. Well, the good thing is like, typically they give you like a day, right? They're not going to just say, Hey, come on up. And, and pitch today like you'll have a day you'll have you'll you'll have probably have a couple days and sort of sort of ease into it so there's a lot of stuff going on i mean tristan cassis is sunbathing in the outfield on his first day and so you, you, <laughs> uh, get a day, you get a day to do stuff like that but uh it's a listen i, I in all sincerity that's it, it it's stories like that which you know it's it's great to remember and it's a great obviously driving factor. And, and I'm glad also that you're very sincere about it. This isn't something like you did a few years ago and, you know, whatever, and it'll pop back. Like you, it, it stuck with you. So that's, so that's a cool story. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that with like, back then and now. So. No problem. Um, so uh, again, to morph back into uh, honey Hitler, you know, the, the whole <laughs> several segues. Um, what do you, what do you do? Um, what do you do well right now? Like you talk, so we've gone through a lot. We've gone through the mental side of things. We've gone through your journey. Um, but you know, when you stand on the mound, you still have to get guys out. That is science, right? You have to get guys out. So yes. how do you get? How do you? What's? How does Chris Murphy get guys out? You got to attack. You have to attack hitters from pitch one if i don't attack hitters from pitch one they're not i think it showed in my last little snippet of triple a that when i wasn't attacking guys i wasn't getting them out at the same clip so attack guys be aggressive know that i have to i'm better than them and hitting 300 is failing out of seven seven out of ten times if i'm getting 80 90 percent of the hitters i face out i think i'm very successful and i just have to have that confidence being like he's going to get out be aggressive let these hitters hit do what they need to do like hitters get themselves out very very often so just have the confidence in myself in my catcher in what pitch i'm throwing and just just let it happen throw throw my change up a lot throw my curveball a lot more and continue to to do what i have done in in the minor leagues and just be better at it <laughs> in, in all reality I just have to be better at it um it's it's one of those things where I know that my sample size hasn't been the greatest and I know that's probably some critique if fans read stats it's just one of those 
I'm going to be better. I know that once I get to that level, I'll be ready. I'll be polished, ready to go. Power rank your pitches. Uh, fastball number one. How fast? Uh, well, average 93. Average 93. Depends on if I'm out of the bullpen or not. Okay. Bullpen, hopefully, we'll see a couple of fives or sixes. That that would be ideal. Okay. Uh, Changeup, number two. Um, Thank you. And then we'll go curveball and slider competing for three and four. I think they're both pretty even. The slider took a big jump this year. Um, so that, that was something I worked with the double-A pitching coach a lot was refining that slider and got a legitimate out pitch in it. So uh, be more confident in that pitch more often because it was something very new. I learned it in the middle of the season. So the slider. now that I have some more time on Yep. Yep. It was a cutter slider mix. So yeah, everybody uh, changed their slider this year. Like every, yeah. like everyone did. So I don't know how much you, you talked to Austin Davis in spring training, or whatever, but he's a really thoughtful guy. I enjoyed talking with him. And he was talking about how this year, everyone's slider went horizontally, more horizontal than ever. And then he started teaching. Then he taught Hauk a little bit about this whirly it was called the whirly bird slot you know the whirly bird slider yeah the Sergio yeah. Romo um Corey Kluber um I, I brown with bullpens through a couple in a game okay. wasn't my favorite to throw to be honest with you uh I think it's just depends on the pitcher um my my slider is more of like I call it a cutter just so I throw it harder I throw a pretty decently big curveball so the curveball and the whirly would kind of blend a little bit mm-hmm. uh, but that Whirly Bird, I've seen some really good ones. Uh, Brian Keller threw a really good one. And I know Austin Davis threw a great one. So, I mean. And Tim, so Hauk, who had this insane slider, kind of lost feel for it. And then he went to the Whirly Bird for a couple months. And then he went back just because he found it helped him find the field. This is definitely. It's yeah. like throwing a football almost. That's how I would describe the Whirly Bird you're your fingers are on top of it and it makes it go sideways, which is really a, uh, bends, bends your brain a little bit until you see it on video, but it's, it's a pretty cool pitch. Look at us breaking down pitches. <laughs> we, we've got a lot. We've done a lot here today. Um, but most importantly, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, like you said, I, I've enjoyed following your career ever since I talked to you for the first time. Um, I was happy to see you run 40 man. I did do a fake trade two years ago where I traded you for Daniel Bard, um, which is, should be taken as a compliment. You know? <laughs> yeah, as one of the best relievers in baseball. Right. And you know what? I got all kinds of crap from people saying, "Don't you can't give up Chris Murphy for Daniel Bard. I'm like, I'm not giving him up. Like, Daniel Bard's really good. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. So anyway, I hope you don't hold on. Yeah, I don't. I don't right. take any part of that i know go ahead i it's it's a business i don't take any any of that to heart whenever people talk about it was a compliment it was a compliment much like when i surfaced the photo of you pitching without your shoe on so (laughs) i'll never forget that one yeah you're like where did you get that photo you're like what are you doing man it's like (laughs) oh some drills just out there drills did did you ever look up this is well before you were born did you ever look up Sid, the story of Sid Finch? No, I did not. Okay, so 
sport please do this give it a google so okay. it's sports illustrated did a, a story an april fool story and it was about this guy named sid finch and he threw 108 for the mets and he pitched with a boot on one foot and nothing on the other shoe on the other foot like barefoot and have you seen the fastball the what have you seen the documentary fastball yeah is that him, the guy, the great, the fastest pitcher to, that never made it? Was that no, him? This guy was never, this guy never existed. It was an April Fool's. Oh, oh, April Fool's story. Okay. Yeah. But it was, it was the best of all. I mean, Sports Illustrated back then too was, you know, the be all end all. And so everybody thought this guy was for real because they had, they had him behind a curtain. Anyway, he didn't, he had a bare foot and a boot and he threw like 108. But no, no, it's, I like, yeah, the fastball document. I like all these things. It's, it's all great. I love it. Baseball's great. So, and the fact that I'm uh, pitching without a shoe. Oh, I might. Maybe I'll throw 108. No, no. But are you, you so you did it for balance or something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did that drill for balance. It was just uh, feeling the back leg. I might actually have to get back to that, to be honest with you. That's uh, it's one of my cues. I need, I need to get back into my back leg a little bit more. Okay. Well, the good news is that now you're in the 40 man, you can afford a second shoe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.